There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands the conversation. I also often draw on my own meeting and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as my experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. I'll get to my program in just a moment, but let me thank my sponsor, Recover Mattress. I, myself, am an athlete and a very active professional, so I understand the importance of good sleep. And Recover Mattress is a hybrid mattress designed specifically to improve sleep for muscle recovery for active lifestyles. Learn more about the story of how this company was founded and the mattress itself by visiting Recover Mattress. There's no E after V, by the way, recovermattress.com. And bonus, if you do decide to buy a mattress, you can enjoy a 50% discount by using the code WOP50 because of our partnership. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Ashley Kate Adams, an actress and producer at AKA Studio Productions. She shared her story of how she became a storyteller in the business and her prolific career already by age 30. And she shared some hard lessons she's learned along the way and talked about some of the films she starred in or produced that she's particularly proud of. It was incredibly inspiring and moving throughout. With us this week is Rachel Milo, who is an entrepreneur, speaker, author, and mentor. She has owned construction companies, retail businesses, consulting companies, and a beauty salon. She's the author of The Ten Commandments of Success Without Apology. We'll be talking about meeting our own expectations of success, what we have to give up to do success on our own terms, and how we can support and empower each other as women along this journey. Rachel, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you, Alice. I'm so glad to be here. It is great. And let me thank our dear friend, mutual friend, Kimberly Davis of Onstage Leadership, who's been on the show a couple of times for bringing us together. Thank you, Kimberly, if you're listening. And following all of our promotions and sharing. So it's so, uh, so great to have a common friend. Well, and that certainly speaks to what we've been talking about, right, Rachel, right out of the gate of other women empowering and supporting each other, cheering along the way. What can I do to support you? Let me clear the path. Let me find a way. Kimberly is fantastic at that. She exemplifies that. So let's let's start the topic here, if we can, Rachel. So this whole idea of women's success, I find this really, really interesting as a researcher myself, as a social scientist myself. Um, talk to us a bit about your perspective about the societal desire for women's success. Sure. So I really do believe um, in the United States, especially that there there is a cultural desire for women to have success and for women to have equality. The desire is there culturally. What, what I believe we are on the cusp of is as women achieve it, how do they redefine what the day-to-day life looks like? And I mean that by saying um, we have these perceptions of success that have been handed down to us from our grandmothers and our mothers. And maybe that grandmother was um, supporting the family and always having the huge Sunday dinner and then uh, being there to sew the, the, the knee back on our jeans or whatever that may be, to then our mother who maybe had um, both the working career, but she still made sure we were always 
you know, eating dinner together collectively. And she still attended all the PTA meetings and she still was cooking for the bake sale. And then now we have this generation of women who are like, you know, I really want to be a true equal in the office or a true equal um, in the boardroom or as the coach or the sports mom. And then what's happening is we're trying to do our version of success and all the versions of the generations before us. And so we have this this really tricky paradigm where we're trying to define what success looks like as a woman now, whether that's as a mother or a daughter or a sister or an executive. And we want to do success our way, but we don't want to disappoint anybody else who's doing it differently. And so this is where we come to this, this place in culture where we are really excelling. We really are doing all of these great, amazing things. And yet, more than ever, we feel such insecurity about our success. And I think that's because of our own perceptions of what success is supposed to look like and who we have to please in their version of success. And we're in this no-win place, this no-win scenario that it, it even starts with us internally, how we feel about what success is. Well, there's a lot we can unpack there. So much we can unpack there. So, But let me start with one thing that I think is interesting and maybe undergirds that a little bit. And I don't know. You, you know way more about this than I do. That's why I have you on the show. I'm wondering about if part of what undergirds that is this notion of, of how women might be contributing to their own whatever might be perceived as inequality and specifically in a tendency that I've certainly seen, and I think you've seen too, in our constant need or drive to apologize in our vocabulary. Sure. So these are definitely hand in hand. And um, I believe there's a direct correlation in um, not only how we perceive our success, but how other people perceive our advancement. And that is based on our apologetic vernacular. You know, we we do say I'm sorry. Um, there's a there's a commercial that Pantene did um, in Asia uh, several years ago, but the the commercial the whole premise is about all of the times that women say I'm sorry, and they say I'm sorry as they enter a room when really we should say excuse me or hello or pardon, but instead we say I'm sorry, and so we say I'm sorry when someone else accidentally bumps our arm off of a chair. We say, I'm sorry when we come in from carrying the groceries and a toddler and carrying our purse and we hand off the groceries and we say, oh, I'm sorry. And so this constant apologetic vernacular really does create this sense of insecurity and this sense of I'm not doing it because I need to or because it's right. Uh, please accept why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and we do, we just apologize over and over all day long. And I can certainly, I can certainly see how that helps contribute to whatever perception might be out there about inequality and certainly our role in, in contributing to that. I, I, I moderated a panel on women's leadership at a conference a few months ago and had two men and two women on the panel. And the men talked about this, Rachel. They were saying women are very quick to apologize and they're the last ones to stick up their hand and say, I want that job, I'm going to apply. Whereas a man, even if he has like two of the 10 requirements and she, the, a woman might have seven or eight, a man will apply for the job and say he can do it. And the woman will say, well, I don't have all the credentials. Sure. And this is um, this has been researched almost to agnosium, but it is statistically proven, really, that um, 
men will apply for a new job when on average they feel 60% qualified. Women, on the other hand, won't apply for a promotion or a job until they're 100 to 125% qualified. And so we really haven't figured out that fake it till you make it type thing, right? Um, where, and I, I also heard um, another person speak on this recently, but it, we kind of make fun of it that it's an ego thing or it, it, it's a male-female thing, but really it's... Um, it's so ingrained in us at such an early age that um, another book that I've been reading recently about women never asked, which says that this impacts us for our entire career. And oftentimes it goes back to the very first opportunity in which we could have either negotiated our salary or asked for a better job. And the research says that if that if that woman doesn't apply at that time and waits until she's way overqualified, she may never ask again. No, go ahead, Rachel. Sorry, go ahead. And I think the other point is, you know, if they apply for it and she's told no in the very early position, maybe in the very first promotional opportunity, if she's denied that promotion, she may never ask again. And and that is really incumbent upon leadership and management to recognize this cultural um, tendency that we have. Yeah, and the other thing that I really wanted to presence about that, Rachel, because you and I take a similar stand from a similar place, but when we can surface what we as women are doing and how we are limiting ourselves, how we are contributing to maybe our own inequality, what I like about that, it gives us a place to stand from and empower us to behave and act differently for a better and different, more improved result. I stand for that, and I know you do too, right? So if we can help surface this for women and reveal for them what they're actually doing, what we're actually doing that limits our success, then we've we've got something to work with. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, one of the things I really work to message is that it's not um, it's not the man's fault that the woman isn't getting the promotion, right? That that's not my message. The message really is some cultural things and some. Um, environment things, but a lot of it too is what we do to ourselves and how we grasp opportunity ourselves. Um, and, and that is really part of my message is recognizing opportunities and recognizing that sometimes you want to raise your hand long before you think you're qualified. Um, and that's okay because other people are doing that too. And just quickly, uh, next week we'll be on the on the on the air with a woman who's done some research around c- cogn- cognition and innovation, and she talked a lot about language when we we had the, we recorded the interview for it. It'll come out next week. And I got from the panel as well that the men said that when they're talking to a man and they they tell a man maybe he hears yes. Right. When they talk to a woman, they say maybe to her she hears no. Yeah. Well, I think that goes beyond work, right? I mean, that's kind of in in a lot of things in life, right? Um, And so that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And again, you know, just knowing that I think gives us a place to stand from and and empowers us to change the way we choose to listen and use language. Yes, I agree. So if we can, Rachel, you you opened the, the, the show a bit about meeting our own expectations of success. And I would I'd love for you to presence that a little bit for us and our listeners about who are we comparing ourselves to when we start thinking about 
what is an expectation of success? I know I can drive myself crazy with all the things that I want to do in life. Talk to us a bit about these expectations. Where do they come from? Who are we comparing ourselves to? Sure. And, you know, it's everywhere. I mean, if you think about who you compare yourself to, I would just say, like, put yourself on a Pinterest board, right? (laughs) I mean, seriously, I feel like we're trying to compare every aspect of our life to some Pinterest board. And so I'm trying to be the crafty mom that does all the crafts. And I'm trying to be the, the mom who throws the perfect birthday party and invites all the people and does all the cake and everything's Instagram worthy. Oh, yeah, and I, I want to, you know, work without ever letting them see me sweat, right, if you will. Never let them see me work out. I just want to look fit. I want to look like everybody else and be fit like everybody else, but don't ever actually have four hours to, to put into the, the workout. And so, I mean, I, really, our perception of success, and I say this in the book, you know, I, I have this version of success, and she looks like Brooke Burke, and she's on Morning Joe like Mika, and she is my mom who, you know, was the perfect wife and mother, in my opinion, and she's X, Y, and Z, right? And so we're our own worst enemy sometimes in that, um, and, and part of that is we don't want to let anybody down that is around us, right? Um I chose at some point in life um, not to birth children, not to have children. Would you like to know how many times I've apologized for that in my my lifetime? Wow. Right? Um, Because that wasn't a choice I made, right? Um, But it was so many people's perception of what a woman becomes, um, which which is a a mother. And so I have my version of motherhood, um, whether it's in youth ministry or... Um, now I'm a stepmother or it's adopting my friend's kids during that era of time when their parents know nothing. You know, that's my version of parenting. Um, but I've had to justify or apologize for that many, many times in life. It's fascinating. And I, I can appreciate that. I hear a lot of voices and I, I know there's so many other places that I could draw from and think, you know, am I enough from what for what I want for myself in terms of what I, what my version of success is? And you're right. I, I can't even count the number of comparison points that come into that. Right, right. Um, you know, our, our dear friend Kimberly, right? So if, if every day I got up and compared myself, you know, to Kimberly's network and to her book launch, you know, She's a peer and she's a friend and she's doing success differently than me. But because we may both have the word author by our name, then I wake up each day and compare myself to her success, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and that's just one facet of our life. Right, right. I want to talk more about that, Rachel. Well, let's grab a quick break. There's a couple of things I want to drill down on what you just said there. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Rachel Milo, who is an entrepreneur, speaker, author, and mentor. She has owned construction companies, retail businesses, consulting companies, and a beauty salon. She's the author of The Ten Commandments of Success Without Apology. We've been talking a bit about how women show up for themselves in society, how they start to compare themselves. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit about more of those expectations and looking at perceptions of how we might change our own way of showing up and definition of success. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Rachel Milo, who is an entrepreneur, speaker, author, and mentor. She joins us today from Shawnee, Oklahoma. She is an NCAA Division I women's basketball referee, and she spent six years commuting from Oklahoma to New York City, working in the high-tech, fast-moving world of digital media and advertising, among many of the things that she's done. She's the author of The Ten Commandments of Success Without Apology. This episode is sponsored by Recover Mattress. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before we broke there, Rachel, we were talking a bit about um, meeting our own expectations in comparisons. And I definitely wanted to hit two specific things that I know you talk about with regard to that. One is comparing ourselves to men. And then, of course, what it looks like post-divorce. So can you say a little bit about how women tend to compare themselves to men and what that does to us? Sure. So um, when we... When we compare ourselves to men, I think this is one of those challenges that we're having right now as we know that the statistics out there that we're making, you know, depending on who you ask, between 70 and 73 cents for every dollar that a man makes, right? And so we look at that, first of all, and say, you know, how is that fair? Um, but what I, what I think is really important to hear from me is that we as women really have to worry um, about what we can do for ourselves, not at the expense of anyone else. And and that's so powerful for us is that um, whether it's comparing ourselves to men or whether it's this, um, as I mentioned earlier, this Pinterest idea of competition, um, we really have to start with like where we are right now and what we are looking for, um, for our future and our version of success. And Um, As we talk about men in our lives, whether um, that's our husband or our siblings or um, other men in our life, one of the things we we have to be talking about um, is something that I believe Sheryl Sandberg started with Lean In, which was, what does our home life look like um, with the men in our life? And uh, there's there's an article that was out today that says millennials really are worrying about making more money than the men in their life and that this is a real deep concern for them. Um, I'm pretty sure that's never been a concern a man has ever had. Um, and culturally, that's that's a worry and a concern that women are having. And some of that is because they haven't figured out how to share the other responsibilities in their life. So they're taking on the responsibility of earning an income, but they haven't figured out how to let go of other um, opportunities and responsibilities in their life to share with a partner. And, you know, if we can figure out how to share some of those responsibilities, we may feel less guilt about carrying one of them heavier. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's fascinating. I, I'm very intrigued with the notion of how there seems to be an uptick in more women developing their careers and becoming more of the principal breadwinners and men happy to stay and, and care for the children. 
So that's one thing that I think is interesting about this whole topic. And the other, I just read this in The Economist yesterday. There was an article there about how women in China, well-educated, successful women in China, are literally, in order to find a mate to marry and have children with, they are talking less about the money that they make and the success that they have in order to attract a mate. Oh, that's no different than it is here. And it's a real concern. Um, you know, and this uh, leads to, I think, some where we were going here in a minute, which is um, post-divorce. Um, you know, this was something that I did experience personally um, when um, earlier in life. Um, I was married to somebody who uh, made a lot more money than me when we first married. And as that um, income scale became more equal, yet the other responsibilities did not you know, I believe without a doubt that led to a lot of his depression. A lot of his insecurity was the fact that I was earning more money. Um, ultimately, um, this led to a divorce or other things, of course. Um, and when I was single, um, I thought to myself, well, great, I am now going to find a mate that, you know, loves the fact that I'm a high earning income person, that I'm, I'm chasing my dreams and my entrepreneurial and really what I found is that that sounds really good at first, um, but then it's not always that appealing to them. When you really think about sharing um, home responsibilities or you become the person who needs the um, plus one at an event, um, that's not as comfortable for them oftentimes or the working late or the being on the road or the traveling and so what really I did face really head on, and it wasn't um, age specific. It wasn't just older men. It wasn't just younger men. Um, it really did uh, vary depending on the men that you met and came across as to really whether they wanted to um, accept that. And so naturally, um, that became much less of a topic. That became much less of a lead-in. Mm. Wow, this is actually opening up something for me, Rachel, just really quick. Um, I have been divorced for two and a half years, and um, it wasn't my idea to get a divorce, but it was a good idea, and it was the right, right avenue for both of us. We're both so much better off, and I saw it as a place to be able to recreate and repaint my canvas. That's how I saw it, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, all these things I want to do, I'm so excited, this is so great. And when I talk with people that I met along the way, men along the way, several of them are like, you know, what, what, you know, let's just sort of tamp down that ambition. You know, you don't need to be that ambitious. You know, yeah, what is that? And I found that so interesting. Some people are like, that sounds really great, how exciting, but I'm definitely encountering that pushback of, hmm, I don't think you need to be that ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Um, and, and I know the story was done, uh, done in China, but I don't think we can fool ourselves to think that doesn't exist here. I really appreciate that, Rich, because I read that article, the way that it's written, and I have to say, I went, wow, that's so different. And I appreciate that what you're giving me the mirror and going, Elise, it's the same thing. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Right. Well, let's move on to another topic that I want to talk about here that I really appreciate the way that you address it. And I think we can really bring it alive for our listeners is what it costs to do success your own way. So first, what do you mean by success your own way? So the first thing I would say is success is how you define it. Um, And so my version of success uh, looks very differently than Elisa's version of success, which looks very differently than Christiana's version of success. Mm -hmm. 
And what's really key is that we can own that, which is first and foremost. Um, my version of success looks very differently than my sister's. And I had to be okay saying, no, it's okay that I'm not having children. It's okay that I left the ranch. It's okay that I travel for a living. And the first person who has to accept that is me. Because I can't defend it, explain it, and be that model of success if I'm not secure in what that looks like. Mm. I've heard you say a little something about that you, in order to do success your own way, you, you, kind of, you have to give up some things. How do we first determine what we have to give up? And how do we go about giving it up? I don't want to give anything up. That's my, part of my problem. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, I love um, my community. I love being part of it. I'm a local um, civic organization president, and I love being involved. But... For a period of time, my version of success meant that I was on the road four days a week. I mean, I flew out Monday morning and I did not come back Thursday. I had to give up some of that civic involvement locally for that. You can love all things, but you can't be all things at once, is what a boss used to tell me. Um, Carr Davis used to tell me, you know, I believe you can do all things, just not all of them at once. And so I think sometimes we have to just be okay knowing that during this phase of my version of success, I can't be those things. My version of success right now may be a stay-at-home parent, and that is perfectly fine. If my version of success right now for the next three years is a stay-at-home parent and I can't go do X, then I have to accept that. Now, I don't have to justify it to people. I don't have to explain it to people. I don't have to give you all the reasons why, but I personally have to say, okay, if these are the things that lead to success, then I need to give up these other things. I really appreciate that, Rachel. And again, you and I are speaking from the same or playing from the same sheet of music. I also had to give up. I did a lot of civic involvement. I was leading various charitable organizations, raising money for them, et cetera. And I gave that up in order to focus more on the things that I'm trying to present for myself in terms of how I'm describing success for myself. I really appreciate that. And I miss them. I really miss them. Hey. And then secondly, what you just said earlier, do you happen to know Sherry Elliott Yuri? I do not. Okay. She has written a book that's called You Can Have It All, Just Not All at Once. Yes. <laughs> so I thought of her when you talked about that. So, um, okay, awesome. Um, I, I want to hear a bit about this. I am very, very intrigued about your own story as a referee and a traveling executive. First, I got to know how you became a referee. Where did that come from? <laughs> sure. So a love of the game, right? So my brother was seven years older than me. And he played college basketball. And so I was ultimately the rebounder, right? So I stood under the basket, caught the ball, and threw it back out to him while he shot umpteen gazillion, you know, free throws or three-pointers or whatever. And I I just spent a lot of time in the gym. And then I went to college, um, actually on a track and field scholarship. But I just loved basketball. I mean, really, that's what I loved. And so one day, this is the most random thing, and I think it's really about just not being afraid, but one day I, I walked by the gym, and there was a sign on the, the door that said referee camp, and it said 
I don't know, whatever it was, like $75, you know, learn to be a referee. And I thought, oh, well, that's cool. I don't have anything to do this weekend. I think I'll do that. And I literally just showed up at this camp, which if you are now a referee and you understand the system, you'll know kind of how insane that was. Um, And I blew my first whistle at a referee camp. And that was approximately 22 years ago. And I just fell in love with the game. I felt I love the game so much. And administering the rules is basically my way of staying connected to the game and the athletes and competition um, for for life. Um, And now I get to be a part of the game. And now um, I do it almost as a second career um, and love it. You know, what I, uh, I really want to acknowledge and celebrate in how you just narrated that, Rachel, is when I go out and speak on passion and purpose, I tell people that we have to cultivate passion in our lives. It doesn't just show up and descend on us. We have to work at this, right? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't just <laughs> presence itself for us when we really need it most. And I love the fact that you're cultivating this over time, 22 years over time. Thank you very much. Yes. And that you, that you, that's part of what gives you energy and zest. It is. And it's one of those things that um, I tell people about the first five years, I really kind of did it for kicks and giggles. Um, it was fun. I had a, a, a skill that I was kind of good at. Um, I liked the game and I would show up and referee the games. Um, many people start that way. Um, and then about five years in, somebody said, you know, you might be kind of good at this if you actually worked at it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, And it was like, it was like lightning struck at that moment. Like, oh, to really work at this and be good at this, that it's a thing. Um, and then I did. And then I just started really working at it and really um, working on this craft to where now this Friday, Saturday night hobby became more of an advocation, which became um, more of a career. And now it's um, networks of friendships. Um, I, I have a, a book launch activity in Dallas this week and I have three referee girlfriends flying in from around the country to be a part of the launch. Awesome. Just built these amazing relationships around the country and I couldn't um, I couldn't love the game anymore than I do now after 22 years um, wearing the stripes. Mm. That's wonderful. And it, it also gets to what we said before about women empowering each other and, and supporting each other. And you've got three women from across the nation coming to help and support and cheer you. And by the way, we, I don't know yet, but several of my friends do know what it takes to birth a book. Congratulations on this. It's just so wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Now, what about this business of the traveling executive? And, and that, I want to put that under the camp of, you know, what it might cost you to do success your own way and, and help 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 our listeners grapple with what it's like to do all the things that you've been doing and doing it in your own way. Yeah. And you know, this is one of those uh, stories that, that admittedly um, I raised my hand at 60% qualified and, and it Mm -hmm. changed my whole life. I mean, without a doubt, it changed my life, but um, I, I went through a a series of um, professions and this is, how I ended up there, but I was working um, as a church youth director and I had been there a long time and the, and the, the church pastor changed and the leadership changed. And so it meant it was time for me to go. And I was desperately seeking a job and a gentleman interviewed me about managing commercial property and real estate. 
And while I will never recommend any of these interview techniques that I used, um, it is what I did. And so after like hours of phone calls and hours of interviewing, this gentleman finally is just like, you know, what, what do you even know about real estate? Um, and I, again, out of sheer desperation at this point, um, I just said, well, you know, my father was a real estate agent for like six months. So maybe I gained something through osmosis over that time. Wow. <laughs> wow. And he was so tickled by the whole thing, really. I mean, just really caught off guard. Um, and then I just followed it with, um, but I'm smart and I work hard. And, and if you can teach me the product, um, I'll, I'll do the rest, right? And so I go to work for him. And um, I'm managing property. And at this time, I'm managing a, um, a, a magazine publication company. The magazine um, was published within one of my offices. And they were a very high-maintenance tenant. And one day, I get a phone call from the publisher. And she says, hey, I really need to meet with you. And, and honestly, I think to myself, oh, great. It's probably an air conditioning issue. And I'm going to have to deal with it. And I had all in my mind how I was going to deal with this. And I get there and she says, basically, hey, I've been promoted corporately. I'm going to work for a national company now. And they've told me I need to find my replacement. And I want to know if you want to be the publisher of this magazine. Oh. <laughs> um, and I say, well, okay, what do you do? <laughs> because I have no <laughs> idea. First, the, acknowledge the, okay, yeah, I'm in, sure. And then next, what does it entail? Yeah. And so... Um, and so she describes the role and, and she says, you know, I know you don't know anything about this. And I'm like, well, do I have to write? Because the publication was um, about accounting technology, mind you. And um, I was like, I don't think I can write anything about, you know, evaluating software and accounting technology. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I need you to build relationships with advertisers. I'm like, great. Consider it done. So I go to work for her. And about three years later, the co-CEOs of that company um, start another company in which they need an executive to train um, salespeople in New York City on how to sell B2B advertising. And they call me and say, hey, um, you know, you were a great employee for us a few years ago. We have this new company. You'd be great at it. Would you come to work for us? And um, again, once again, I said, sounds great. What do I do? Um, and they laid that out, and I went to work for them. And I went to work for two gentlemen who um, were the perfect employers um, for me at that time in my life. And it was one lived in Washington, D.C., one lived in New York City, and um, they needed me to train the people in New York City by coming there and doing what I do and just perform and provide results. And I said, okay. And so it first started as I went to New York about once every six or eight weeks. And then it became, I was there every other weekend or three or four nights. And uh, so much so that then I was living up there part of the time. And that was my safe haven. Honestly, um, when I ultimately went through my divorce, um, I, I decided, you know what, I'm up here and I'm hustling and I'm just going to do this for a year. And I basically took um, about, an 18-month sabbatical from my small town and just went to New York City and just hustled. Um, 
I just dug in, um, like you're talking about now, right? I just dug in and said, this is what will save me, and I'll figure out the details later. Oh, my gosh, Rachel. I love that. And what a perfect way to send us into a break. It's just a little bit of grit, a little bit of perseverance, I'd say. Mm. <laughs> I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with, with Rachel Milo, who is an entrepreneur, speaker, author, and mentor. She has owned construction companies, retail businesses, consulting companies, and a beauty salon. She is the author of the newly released The Ten Commandments of Success Without Apology. She joins us today from Shawnee, Oklahoma. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Rachel Milo, who is an entrepreneur, speaker, author, and mentor. She is also a NCAA Division I women's basketball referee, and she spent six years commuting from Oklahoma to New York City working in the high-tech, fast-moving world of digital media and advertising. She was just talking about that before the break. She is the author of The Ten Commandments of Success Without Apology. In this episode, we've been talking a bit about how to support women, and we will continue that here in this, in this next bit piece. But before we do, Rachel, I would love it if you could share the story of how this whole idea of success without apology came to be, and then the whole book. Where did this come from? So I had the um, honor of serving on the board of um, an organization in New York called the NOMI Network, N-O-M-I Network. And one of the ladies recommended me to serve on the Women in Fellowship um, group by George W. Bush, um, the George W. Bush Foundation and Women in Fellowship organization, which is... Um, a program that they identify 12 women in the United States to mentor 12 women in another country. Um, it's really based on the research that um, a, women's, a woman's largest indicator of her future success is her network, um, which goes a lot to our supporting other women. Um, but the premise is if we can increase a woman's network, um, then she can increase her likelihood of success. So my class um, was paired with 12 women from Tunisia, and Hanan was my mentee, and uh, the first thing that happens is they come to the States, they spend about a week or 10 days here, Um, we mentor them, we help them write their business plan for whatever their project is that they're trying to um, pass and support um, in, in their country. They do some networking here across the United States, and then we work with them for one full year on developing and bringing their program or idea to life and really just empowering them and giving them um, strength where they feel weak. I'm in this program. I have spent six months, and we are at the six-month time, and we are all together, um, us um, and the mentees, and we're in Prague. And we're sitting in a room, and everybody's giving updates on their story, and, and one woman um, is telling her story about her program. And then she says, and you know, um, I just, she starts talking about having this success and that um, she doesn't really know how to share that in a positive way. And that 
there are some people that don't encourage her and and everybody's really wanting to support her and for whatever reason I say to her um, you know you need to own your success and success without apology and at that moment the whole room just starts clapping success without apology yes all of us and I mean in my true entrepreneurial way, at that moment, the reaction in the room was so strong. United States, California, to New York, to Florida, to Oklahoma, to Texas representatives, to these 12 women in Tunisia, all passionately hearing, just go and have success without apology. I immediately went to a website and secured successwithoutapology.com. Of course you did. Yes. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I don't even know where this is going, but this is something. Um this is something. And so throughout the rest of the program, I just started kind of doodling my notes around this topic. And at that time, I had a boss who, um, the boss that was living in, in Washington, D.C., and he was like, hey, just start writing, start writing. And um, I later went to work. The company that I was working for sold to another New York City company. Um, we ultimately got it to where it was needed to be and to sell. And when it sold, I went to work for a CEO that was just awful. Um, (laughs) You know, really for the first time in my adult career, I felt all of those things. I felt I needed to apologize for achieving success my way. I felt that I had to um, stand up for why I could achieve success and not be in the corner office and not do Montauk weekends and not be in the boys club and not do cigars and not do those things and still get the same results. And at that time, I just recognized that I am in that moment of people asking me to apologize for my version of success. And the book was birthed. Um, and, and I quit that job and decided I was going to take a year and figure out how to tell this story And so for the next year, I I did just that. I just wrote um, on my experiences, um, both the good and the bad. um, But it really all started um, in Prague with 24 women, um, you know, supporting each other um, and and bringing ideas um, to surface uh, when this success without apology came, came to fruition. Mm, I love every single thing about that. Okay, and now for our listeners here, since we're live right now, uh, your book launch is this Thursday, so in two days. Tell us a bit more about the book launch. Where is it? What time? Et cetera. Yes, so I'd love to tell you. So um, it's being hosted at the Dallas Entrepreneurial Center in Dallas, Texas, uh, the Dallas, or also known as the DEC, and this is um, a shared workspace for entrepreneurs and um, you can get tickets on my website, which is rachelmilo.com, or through Eventbrite by searching my name. Um, the event is from 11 to 1, so it's a lunch hour. We'll do a book launch. I'm being interviewed um, very casual style with interaction from the audience uh, by Alana, who is on Dallas Morning Today. And I'm um, really excited about that. I have a lot of great support from the Dallas Millennial Club and, and many of the, the people who are part of that. We're launching the book, doing a book signing. Everybody who comes to the event gets a free book. Uh, it'll be fantastic. So thank you for letting me share that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I so wish I could join you for that. I will be with you in spirit and and help you spread the word as we go because I believe in what you're up to. You know, or else I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't have you on the show. So, and I this whole notion of supporting other women and the fact that you've commingled this these various groups that are already giving you support and wrapping their arms around you. I think that's wonderful. One of the things that you say, and I'd love to have you talk more about this, is supporting other women by loving what you do. Would you say more about that? Yeah, so um, this is so good. And I can't even take credit for it, really, because it really comes from one of my mentors um, as a woman leader. And she she wouldn't know that she was a mentor until actually I reached out to interview her for the book. And I just said, I have just admired your success. And, and now she's getting a lot of global recognition um, for her great leadership. But she also um, is in the te- in Texas. She is not originally from Texas. She's from Michigan. Um, but she is now, um, I think, in Plano. But her name is um, Teresa McIntosh. And she is um, president and CEO of a company there. And you know, when I interviewed Teresa, I said, you know, I've always just admired you and your leadership. Um, when I was in the accounting technology space, she was running, um, really, really running one of the largest companies. And she changed the way the industry worked without ever saying it's broken. And it's so horrible because she, she entered into a company that, that gave her you know, a, a CEO level title and she came in and she um, completely wiped out the good old boy network and system without ever saying there was a good old boy network or system. She simply changed processes and she changed um, reward systems that didn't ultimately put the woman at a disadvantage. Um, and I say that to say one of the things that, that I talk about is sometimes in our companies, we don't recognize um, even areas when we try to reward people that they put females um, in a no-win situation. And so I watched her do this in such a graceful way. Um, and, and her um, employees always loved working for her. You know, they, they loved performing at their best for her. And so I asked her, I said, what would, you, what would you advise women to do as they're trying to climb the ladder and go up the ranks? And she said, the best thing you can do is show other people that you love what you do. Oh, my gosh. You know I love every single ounce of that, of course, because it jives with, with my world. Yes. Thank you for presencing like that and just bringing it alive for us. It was gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, shining. Yeah. I mean, you just, you go, oh, yeah, because people like to model after people who love what they do. And she said, that's the greatest thing I can do is actually tell people I love what I do and that this version of success is good. Brilliant. Well, along those lines, Rachel, um, speaking of just being able to help people by loving what you do, I've I've developed a relationship with a woman here in town, Kim Olson. She's actually in the Fort Worth side, and she's been on my show a couple times. This is a woman who has done a lot in her life. And she said, you know, when I watch you bring people together in a room and I watch you cheering and empowering women, 
what that tells me is I need you to come and help me do that. She's she's running for um, a commissioner role in agriculture here in the state of Texas. She's bringing together 40 other women who are running for a seat. Mm-hmm. And she wants, wants she says, I want you to, to talk to us about empowering each other and not seeing each other as competition. Will you do that? And I'm like, heck yeah, I'll be there. Where, where, just tell me when to be there and I'll be there. So yeah, it, it makes such a difference. And so I'm right there in the sidelines cheering with you. And of course, I don't know how we've managed to do it, Rachel. We're almost out of time already. And I want to give you a chance to say what you'd like and leave our listeners with your pearls of wisdom and say 30 seconds. Well, thank you. Uh, first and foremost, um, Elise, thank you for what you're doing and thank you for just inspiring people to work on purpose. Um, when we have purpose, it really does glow from the inside out. Um, it gives me chill bumps to know what you're doing with all of the future elected officials um, and supporting each other. And the greatest thing I would tell people to do is just wake up today owning your version of success um, and, and don't apologize for that and whatever it looks like. And um, lastly, if I can see you at the book launch on Thursday, I would love to see you. That is such a great invitation, Rachel, and really appreciate your energy, your enthusiasm. And of course, I concur with you that it's worth looking for our purpose. It's worth that effort. It's worth it. And to stand in a place of passion is really also really important. And so such a nurturing place. We take good care of our, of our bodies. We eat well. We exercise. Finding passion and purpose is in that same camp. So, Rachel, thank you for coming on Working on Purpose and sharing all of your energy and time. If you want to know more about Rachel, connect with her, find her, get her book, go to her website. It's rachelmelo.com. Let me spell that for you. It's R-A-C-H-A-E-L-M-E-L-O-T.com, rachelmelo.com. Join us next week when we're in the air with Dr. Erica Jacoby of LC Global as she shares her surprising findings from her PhD dissertation on the cognition of innovation. In our conversation, you will gain insight as to whether or not your company has the mindset and identity dynamics it takes to become really successful. See you then. And remember that work is at least one third of our lives. So let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>